Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the State of Innovation podcast. I'm Matt Bragg, Director of the Illinois Science and Technology Coalition. Uh, and today we have a great interview with Sanem Rivers, who's the Director of R&D Communications for Horizon Therapeutics. Um, for those of you that might not be aware of Horizon, they are a therapeutics company located in Lake Forest, Illinois, that's really seen tremendous growth over the past few years. I mean, we talked to Sanem about some of Horizon's uh, successes here lately, but we also talk about her background um, and her work mainly uh, around equity in healthcare, um, you know, both in, in the federal government and with Horizon. Um, we, talk, we, we also talk a little bit about um, just the general landscape of R&D in Illinois and, um, you know, kind of how companies are, are able to grow their R&D presence here in the state. Um, but we also spend a lot of time talking about, you know, key equity issues in healthcare uh, and what's, you know, gone on in, in 2020 in terms of, you know, kind of the dual crises of, of both a, a pandemic and, you know, all the, the unrest around racial injustices in this country and, um, you know, what that means for healthcare moving forward and how do we, um, you know, continue the momentum that, that some of these issues have, um, you know, raised uh, awareness about. So um, really enjoyed this interview with Sanem. Um, so without further uh, ado, uh, my interview with Sanem. So, Sanem Rivers, thanks for joining us on the State of Innovation podcast. Thank you for having me, Matt. I'm looking really forward to this conversation today. Yes, me too. And I know this has been on the cards for a while, so it's it's great to finally sit down and have this conversation. Um, I want to start with a bit about your background and career arc. Um, so maybe if you can give us uh, kind of the origin story of yours and and how you got to the role you're in today with Horizon. Great. I love how you frame that origin story. <laughs> so my love for science was actually sparked early in my life as a child. So I am a Midwesterner. I'm originally from Indianapolis, Indiana, and I was fortunate enough to have a pediatrician who was Black. His name is Dr. Eric Yancey. I think he's since been retired. But by seeing him, I also felt like I could have a career as a physician as well. So in that, math and science were subjects that I really excelled in early on, and my parents were very central in cultivating that interest, taking me to math and pathologon competitions, and also helping me with science projects. And then furthermore, advocacy was also a huge part of my growing up. I served on the mayor's task force to stop violence between ages about 12 and 14. And it was in that that I really learned the power and responsibility and the importance of using your voice to help others and uplift your community. So fast forward a bit to college. I chose to go to Xavier University of Louisiana, which is a historically black university located in New Orleans. As I wanted to be a physician, as I mentioned before, and Xavier historically placed the most African-Americans in medical school for quite some time now. And, but life had other plans in terms of my road to being a physician. Um, I was sitting in my organic chemistry class and we had an alum come in and he presented on the field of public health. And when that discipline really takes a look at is identifying why populations have poor outcomes, looking at policy as well as environmental and social factors that impact health status versus helping one patient at a time as physicians do. And it was at that point that I felt like that was more aligned with what I wanted to do career wise. So from undergrad, I attended Tulane School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine, pursuing a master's 
and public health with a focus on health education and communication. And following undergrad, that really kicked off my career. I worked in a variety of different settings. I worked for nonprofits, community-based organizations, and at governmental health agencies at the state, local, and federal le levels, which led me to be also a senior leader at a PR firm, focusing on really developing communication strategies for clients in the fields of advocacy, policy, and stakeholder engagement as it relates to health. Um, and then to industry in my current role um, as Director of Research and Development Communications at Horizon Therapeutics. Um, I do wanna say that I'm really proud of my federal service at the US Food and Drug Administration or FDA. And I worked there for five years on behalf of the American people in a variety of roles with increasing responsibility. One of those was when I helped to establish the agency's Office of Minority Health as mandated by the Food and Drug Administration Safety and Innovation Act, it's a mouthful, signed into law by President Obama, which stated that each agency within the Department of Health and Human Services have a standalone Office of Minority Health that reported into the head of the organization. And through that work, we were kind of tackling a lot of health disparities issues, looking at clinical trial diversity, also looking at language access. So that was kind of where a lot of the work that I'm currently doing and interested in in health disparities kind of took place. But in my current role at Horizon, uh, I lead research and development communications, which is all the development and positioning of Horizon scientific messaging as we are really working to build out our capabilities in the space as we evolve into a leading biotech company specifically focused in rare disease. So that work has been extremely exciting as it's a new venture for the company as we just began our R&D program in 2018. Well, thanks to them for that background. And, you know, thank you for your, your leadership uh, there in the, in the civic side and, um, you know, on these important equity issues that are obviously, you know, so, so important as we, we move forward as a country. Um, but you mentioned there at the end, kind of the, the growth of Horizon recently, and, you know, the, the company's really been kind of a success story for the state as a whole in terms of, you know, growing its presence and expanding R&D and um, really taking kind of a, a leadership role in some of these, you know, you mentioned the rare diseases. So um, maybe you can give us kind of a, you know, an overview of how uh, Horizon has grown in Illinois and, and kind of the steps that it's taken along the way. Yeah, so it's really exciting kind of where we are in our journey as a company. Horizon started off um, kind of as small, humble beginnings in 2008, and we are a really growing uh, company um, with significant growth that we've experienced in the last three years, which includes building out research and development capabilities, as I mentioned before, and adding more than about 200 employees in 2019, and we're continuing to do so through this year. Um, another milestone that I might want to mention uh, that occurred for us th this year on January 21st, the FDA approved Tepeza for the treatment of thyroid eye disease, making it the first and only approved medicine for thyroid eye disease. And just a little bit of background for listeners on thyroid eye disease. It is a serious, progressive, and vision-threatening rare autoimmune disease that affects about 15 to 20,000 people in the U.S., and it's a debilitating disease resulting in a number of painful and life-altering symptoms for patients that can lead to even blindness in some spaces. Um, and so we are really proud um, at Horizon as we strive to develop breakthrough treatments and maximize the potential of medicines under our care for people living with rare and rheumatic diseases who often don't have many other treatment op 
option. So that was really exciting for us as a company. And we launched Tapeza in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. And even through that pandemic and, you know, kind of the effects that it's had on businesses and people um, and everyone, quite frankly, um, it is on par to be one of the most successful rare disease launches ever, which speaks to the impact and the benefit that this medicine has had for patients. And we are really very proud of the ability to serve patients in this way and to be part of this burgeoning R&D ecosystem in Illinois. And I, I should mention too, that in line with our growth, we are planning to move Horizon's US headquarters from Lake Forest to Deerfield in the first quarter of 2020, which will allow our company to continue its current and future growth in Northern Illinois. So we're really proud to be rooted here. Um, and this building will be LEED Goal uh, certified uh, the new building and campus are really serving as a model for sustainability and will provide a lot of amenities um, such as full service uh, cafe, daycare and a fitness center, and also some opportunities with the space to enhance our collaboration and culture. So we're very excited about what's on the horizon, no pun intended, for the company and look forward to continuing to grow as part of the R&D uh, and industry ecosystem in the state. Yeah, it's, it's really been kind of fun to watch. You know, Horizon's been involved with ISTC for several years now, and it's kind of, you know, really coincided with, you know, great growth at Horizon. And, um, you know, the, the new drug that you've put out there is um, obviously being such a success and, you know, being rooted in, in R&D that's taking place in Illinois is, you know, obviously something that we're excited about. Um, but you do mention, you know, ISTC is, is always interested in, you know, how do companies in the states, how are they able to, you know, grow their R&D presence and innovate in Illinois, right? It's so important to our state's economy and um, to the work that we do in terms of making sure that there's economic opportunity for Illinoisans, um, you know, to be able to, to conduct R&D, to have those strong jobs, to, you know, really innovate. So I'm curious just how you've seen um, you know, the, the state as a place to innovate for a company like Horizon, you know, what are, what are some of the strengths that you see and, and maybe even some of the, the areas that the state could improve as we kind of look to, you know, grow our innovation economy here in Illinois? Well, sure. I'm happy to speak to that. And, you know, Horizon's company culture is deeply rooted in service to our patients as well as service to our community. So our CEO, Tim Walber, he speaks a lot on the richness of the Illinois R&D ecosystem, specifically in our community of Lake County, where we are looking forward to continuing to contribute to and lead the growth in this area. I think the state overall has a deep talent pool in life sciences and the industry not only serves to innovate and find potential therapies and solutions for patients, but also, as you mentioned, is a driver of job creation and economic growth. I think those are all reasons that Governor Prichter recognizes, excuse me, recognizes the importance of a thriving health life, health life science sector, excuse me, and why he's made that a critical part of his five-year plan for economic development in the state. And then as such, the state is actively planning to incentivize additional lab-based growth, which is a major piece of that economic plan. Um, currently, Chicago has amongst the highest levels of new lab construction as a share of existing inventory in the nation, which is a huge deal. Um, there's a total of about a little over 530,000 square feet 
which will be delivered within the next year. And then there's additional, just a little bit over 420,000 square feet that's coming online in 2020. So that support and emphasis to foster growth in life sciences, particularly the next generation of companies is important in that it spurs innovation and discoveries that have the potential to change the standard of care and better lives in Illinois, across the country, and even globally, as a lot of the life science companies um, have global presence or it, looking at that currently. Um, I would also say that universities are a, an important piece of this puzzle, as they too serve to cultivate the scientific leaders of the future and research of the future. So therefore, ensuring that they have stable foundations and infrastructure to garner NIH funding is very critical. Um, I think all in all, developing partnerships with government, academia, and industry, as well as finding mechanisms to increase capital, specifically in the venture space, as well as marketing for the industry, are all key components to contributing to build the R&D ecosystem in the state and maintain it as well. Industry is certainly standing by to partner with Illinois to promote um, our industry and help it grow. So I know that, you know, that's something that we are committed to as an organization. And, you know, I think we have a lot of partner companies based in the area who are willing to do so as well. Yeah, it's such a good point, especially about building and, and growing those partnerships, because obviously, you know, that's at the root of everything that ISTC does and, um, you know, tries to act as that convener between universities and industry and even our federal labs and startups. So um, it's great to hear of, you know, Horizon's work to try to build those partnerships. You know, and you also mentioned lab space. You know, when, when I started at the coalition about five years ago, um, I, I think the stat was that Chicago had less lab space than Madison, Wisconsin. You know, yeah. so just just in the past five years, right, all the lab space that's going up, you know, in, in Chicago itself, but also in the rest of the state, um, it's really been exciting to see uh, in terms of, you know, understanding that there's an issue there and then being able to, you know, put our heads together and say, okay, we really need to grow the amount of wet lab space that's that's in the area and, and the progress there has been has been really great to see. Um, so I want to shift gears a little bit um, because I know you were selected recently as a CEO Action Racial Equity Fellow. Um, so I wanted to to talk about that a little bit. You know what that means, what the what the program is, and and kind of um, you know what you'll be doing as as part of that fellowship. Absolutely. So this is something that I'm particularly passionate and excited and honored to have been selected by my CEO to represent Horizon as a CEO Action for Racial Equity Fellow, and to do this important work to address uh, racial inequities through developing policy. So the fellowship was spun out of an initiative called CEO Action for Diversity Inclusion, which called on leaders from the business community across different sectors and industries to sign a pledge committing to advance diversity and inclusion at their respective companies and in their communities. Tim Walbert, my CEO, was one of the first signatories of this pledge, and then the fellowship signatories were invited to nominate one or more employees to use their skills and passion to work on public policy projects. And this was directly in response to um, the COVID-19 pandemic and some of the other injustices in the Black community that we have witnessed over the summer. And so this group of CEOs is really looking to see what else can we do and how can we make a more concerted effort to impact change. So the mission of the fellowship is to identify, develop, and promote scalable and sustainable policies and corporate engagement strategies 
that will address systemic racism, social injustice, and improve societal well-being. So that's pretty large of a charge that we're giving ourselves. Um, but we do think that there are some achievable things that we can um, do in this two-year fellowship. Uh, I'm participating for one year, but the duration of the program is two years. Um, so our work is organized into four topic areas or pillars. And those pillars are healthcare, education, economic empowerment, and public safety. And my interest in the fellowship stems from my experience as a Black woman in America, and then furthermore, as a Black woman who is in the healthcare industry, and having firsthand knowledge of how racial inequities stifle Black people's ability to advance socially, financially, and how furthermore, one's health standing, and how police see you, for an example, um, can be detrimental, especially solely because a lot of those are based on the color of your skin. So my why, uh, as we characterize our reasons as fellows for going on this journey is because I feel a responsibility to do the work, um, to uplift my community. And this is a once in a career opportunity to truly do something where passion meets purpose. And I'm very grateful to be able to work with about 250 fellows across industry and sectors united around a common goal of creating better outcomes for Black people. Yeah, thanks so much for that for that background. And I know you know you you mentioned kind of 2020 has been an interesting year for a lot of reasons, but you know it's it's obviously shined a, a bright spotlight on inequities in our society. And um, I think maybe nowhere is that more clear than in healthcare. So. I'm curious just, you know, how you view 2020 and maybe how it's changed the conversation around, you know, health inequities in our country and, um, you know, how do we begin to address those, right? It's obviously a, a huge problem and, and not a simple one to solve, but maybe, you know, give us some insight into to how you're thinking about, you know, what are, what are the issues that we can kind of make progress in that have been highlighted here in 2020? Certainly. Well, 2020 has been a year like none other. I think that, you know, in D.C., where I'm based currently, we've been inside the house since March. <laughs> so we've been teleworking and not being able to connect with friends and family in the ways that we're accustomed to. So I just think this year has shined a light on inequities in a way that hasn't been done in the past. And people are starting to have dialogues about race in spaces that they wouldn't have in the past, such as the workplace. Um, I do, however, wanna make the point that while a greater light has recently been shined on this issue, health disparities have long existed in these communities due to lack of access to quality healthcare, socioeconomic inequalities, um, inequalities environmental uh, variables, and other systemic issues. Even during my time at FDA in the agency's Office of Minority Health, we've been collecting data on health inequities. For example, we have data that show how your zip code might predict your health status, as well as research on social determinants of health, which are some of those more societal uh, things to combat when you're talking about improving one's health status. It's not lost on any of us engaged in this work that adding a global pandemic to the equation obviously would cause for black and brown communities to be even more vulnerable and adversely impacted. We could even think about who are the people forced to go out to work while some of us have the luxury of sitting at home, myself included, and you know, Zoom calls are a little treacherous, but um, I'm managing, but those essential workers beyond our wonderful healthcare providers, like those at the grocery store, who are mostly black and brown people, 
who are now facing greater exposure, unlike those of us, like I mentioned before, who are fortunate enough to work at home and just talk about these issues. And then with the changing weather and food season upon us, these issues are only going to get worse and subsequently, so will the devastation for these communities, unfortunately. Then when you add on top of this, the black community specifically is continuing to fight racial injustices. The murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery and Elijah McClain were just the most recent stories brought to the national spotlight this summer, which is causing a lot of mental and emotional strain on top of physical ailments. So I really feel like this country is at a watershed moment where we can no longer say these types of racial inequities are unknown because social media for one is spreading the, the word and globally, we're seeing people march and protest and call for change. So we've come a long way, but there's much work to be done. So I think that's why initiatives such as the fellowship, such as the things that we are doing as a corporation at Horizon to take a look at how we're supporting these communities, specifically the Black community and other marginalized communities is imperative. And I, I think it's all of our responsibility um, to, to do something, to make an impact. Yeah, and thank you for your leadership on these issues because it's, you know, it's obviously so important. And it's a great point that these inequities have existed for a long time, right? And, and 2020 has just kind of, you know, shown a new light on it. Um, so I do want to ask too, how do we, as a community of, you know, innovators and scientists, you know, how do we make sure that the momentum that's been generated around improving these equity issues, how do we make sure we don't lose that momentum, right? Because a lot of times on, you know, across a, a variety of issues, right? There's momentum that's that's caused by some kind of inflection point, And then that momentum, you know, kind of slowly trails off. So how do we as a community make sure that we, you know, we don't let that happen this time, that, that we stay on top of this and, and keep making progress? Yeah, you're exactly right. Because I think we can historically see that there have been uh, several instances that have gotten some really high profile attention um, and you get a couple people behind it and then maybe the next week because there's a different news cycle, something else picks up um, and it kind of those issues go to the wayside. But I think it's exactly kind of that. We have to hold ourselves accountable and we can't let this just be a once in a moment thing. We have to continue to push the needle. We have to take a look inward at ourselves and our own biases that add to some of the inequities that marginalized communities face. We have to hold the brands we support accountable. So they have these large platforms. And when we think about the spending dollars specifically in the black community, you know, we have to hold businesses accountable to the people that are patronizing them. And then we talk about a scientific community and an innovative community. We still have to do the work to make sure that we are supporting uh, marginalized communities. And we're looking at research in a way that takes them into account. We have to do better with clinical trial um, diversity. We have a COVID-19 pandemic, for example, the great news about Pfizer's vaccine and the success that they've seen in clinical trials, but we have to look at the numbers and who's dying from COVID-19, and those are the elderly, Black and brown people, um, and people with pre-existing health conditions. So it's imperative that we are including people in trials and looking at those data across the board to make sure that we account for some of those things and some of the reasons why people are more susceptible to um, the worst of the um, um, the worst of the COVID-19 pandemic. And then taking that a step further, we also have to think about strategies to actually get people to 
um, take these vaccines, especially in some of those marginalized communities. We've, we've done a lot of, we've made a lot of strides in terms of science, but what we haven't, in my opinion, done a really good job about is including the community and doing the education to make them understand why these things are important, why a vaccine for COVID-19 is important, um, and then subsequently, why should also get a flu vaccine um, in these days. But for Black and Brown communities, specifically the Black community, there's a series um, of history of mistrust, medical mistrust, where you have submitted your data, or you know, we can even go back to you know slavery times, where Black Black people did not have a choice to be part of biomedical research; they were just kind of descended on. Um, and then we can go even further to talk about. Uh, Tuskegee, we can talk about Henrietta Lacks and how, you know, um, her cells were used um, for, for in perpetuity without her even knowing, even in her death. So we have to do a good job, a better job as a medical community to make inroads to these communities um, that are Black and Brown that honestly feel marginalized by this research and make them a part of the conversation instead of descending on them with, with solutions. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and you know, I, I, it's heartening. You know, there, there are obviously a, a lot of challenges that still exist. And, you know, the, the spotlight that's been shown on this is, is just that, right? It's a spotlight. It's, it's not a solution in and of itself. So, um, but it is heartening to, to know that um, people like yourself are, are working on these issues and have been for a long time and, you know, have dedicated their, their careers and, and really their lives to it. So um, I'm thankful for that. Um, but I do, you know, I want to thank you for, for coming on the podcast as well. It's been a great conversation and one that I've been looking forward to uh, for a while. So um, thanks for, for taking the time to talk to us today. Well, I definitely appreciate it, Matt. And I'll come back anytime if you'll have me again. I enjoyed the conversation. But like I mentioned, this is like step one. There's a lot of work to do. Um, but I'm, I'm grateful that people are, you know, hearing and taking an interest in this work and, and joining it, frankly. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm going to take you up on that and have you back on. So we appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Thank you. We'd we'll okay, love to. Thanks to them. <laughs> Bye. Right. Thank you. Bye.